Today on Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman, we'll discuss the culture wars and whether or not we should be engaged in fighting them. We'll talk about Disney and how they're giving in to their woke employees over and above the desire of parents who, by the way, pay their bills. And then we'll talk about how the Daily Wire is going to war with razor blades, but not like actually cutting people with razor blades. Well, actually, they are cutting people with razor blades. Anyway, you'll have to stick around to the to see that, to see what I'm talking about. And then finally, we'll go over a letter that some of the, I guess you could call them conservative, employees at Disney wrote a letter to the CEO appealing to them to take a kind of middle stance on some of these issues. And I'll explain why crying for diplomacy to those who do not fundamentally hold your values may not be the best option. We'll talk about all that and more all on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for liking, sharing, and subscribing. It means the world to us uh, as a young channel to as a young podcast for you guys to take a moment of your time and day not only to listen, but then to also spread the love and to show how much you truly love your neighbor by sharing good, informative content with them. Um, now, before we start the show, I want to share just a story uh, that I think is relevant to what we'll be talking about today. So my youngest boy, he's five years old, and uh, I was in the process of taking him to the dentist, and he had stayed out of school that day. And he said, Dad, do I have to go to school tomorrow? Um, and I said, well, the only reason you stayed home today is because you had a sore throat and you had a little bit of a fever last night. So, so yeah, you're going to go back to school tomorrow because the fever's gone and, and all that. And he said, but Dad, I still have a sore throat. Oh, yes, I still have a sore throat, Dad. So uh, my little boy was doing the best he could to try to avoid school, which is obviously not, uh, not a surprise to anybody. But the one thing that it does illustrate to us is that parents have a role to not necessarily give in to the whims and to the demands of necessarily those who are crying the loudest. Now, parents know this very well. But what happens when that kind of thing is happening in society writ large, when we're giving in to the impetulant demands of a small minority of people? Well, we'll dig into that in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to let you know that this episode of Indie Thinker is sponsored by our friends over at the Kevin Blair team with Element Funding. Now, Element Funding is your one-stop shop for all of your mortgage needs. If you want to refinance, if you want to purchase a new home, uh, whatever the case may be, if you're in the mortgage market right now and you want to get shelter over your family's head and you want to be a good steward of your family, then the best thing you can do is go to kevinblairteam.com right now and get pre-qualified for a mortgage. We already saw one rate hike. Uh, that drove interest rates higher than they've been in recent memory. And the Fed is already promising that there are more rate hikes to come. And many of those are going to take place before the summer. So you can beat the rush and you can do something about rising gas prices and rising prices of milk and all of the inflation that is being caused by the Biden administration, among other things. Uh, you can do something about that. You can, even if you disagree with that. The one thing you can agree with is that you can take your future into your own hands by going to kevinblairteam.com and getting pre-qualified now so that you can lock in a rate before they go up. Why pay more for a house than you have to? So go to kevinblairteam.com right now. Let them know that Andy Thinker sent you. So quick question. Why do you think it is that around the world today, I mean, even if you're not a Christian, the vast majority of people understand that to be a Christian means that you believe that Jesus is God. Now, where does, where does that come from? Now, you could make the mistake and believe that you think your church is just so singularly awesome 
that it has loved people so amazingly that the rest of the world now knows that Christians believe that Jesus is God. And so it was because of your awesomeness, just to show that I can use awesome three times in one sentence, if that's not a run-on sentence already. Uh, maybe you think that people believe that around the world or know that that's true of Christianity because just people love opening the Bible and reading it and then coming away with that truth. Well, that's certainly not true of this guy. Being queer is holy, our love is holy too. Christians who say otherwise don't know the Bible, woo! Homosexuality is not a sin, being LGBT is not a sin. You start seeing Jesus tear down patriarchy. Jesus himself would have been considered feminine, and I know that's going to come as a uh, shock to so many people. And so now you don't have any fear of going to hell? I don't believe in hell anymore. <laughs> oh, you don't believe in hell? No. Do you believe in heaven? Uh, ish. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship here this morning, who might be squirming a little bit because this is an uncomfortable question to hear in church sometimes, I want you to hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy. By the way, the guy cosplaying Christianity there, wearing the collar around his neck, is a guy named Brandon Robertson. He's a relatively well-known YouTuber and supposed uh, progressive Christian pastor. So the progressive part is right about that. The other two things, not so sure. Mike Winger put that clip together of that montage of those different clips. And I just wanted to show that to you to illustrate the absurdity of, of people calling themselves Christians while supporting adultery and any form of sexuality that floats your boat in direct opposition to scripture. People largely understand that that is not Christianity whatsoever. So where does that overarching sense of what Christianity actually is come from? The reason this is so obviously dumb to people who are not even Christians to hear somebody like Brandon Robertson say this stuff comes from a historical reality. In the 300s AD, Christians stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the lie of Arianism that was spreading throughout the culture. They withstood heretics to the face, and as a result, they protected the truth and helped generations of Christians come to know the orthodox, biblical version of Christianity that we now know. This happened all because Christians militated against cultural lies. Now, of course, it comes from the fact that they had Holy Scripture to base their belief upon, but like I just showed you, there were people back in those days that didn't care about that either. So to see the rise of this kind of unmitigated nonsense in the church should disturb even the most hardened atheist. Even more disturbing is the fact that many Christians wish to blow off these things when we have a historical reality that calls us back to understanding there is an importance to the culture war. Yes, culture war. It's a relatively new term, but as it has always meant, it's a metaphorical battle and not a real battle. And it's a battle for the right to define society. The reason Christians have a deep obligation to engage in the culture war is this, because in front of definition are words meant to define reality on the back end. In other words, we use words to define truth. Jesus himself actively did this when he came to the world as the word made flesh and revealed God to the world. That's what we Christians believe, right? So the culture war is fundamentally a Christian fight in that it defines truth. And so it in every way imaginable is important for Christians to engage in. So that's why even if you're not a Christian, you should be alarmed when large segments of society are trying to coax Christians into sleep and saying, don't worry about the culture war. 
but we're told by prominent pastors like Tim Keller that anyone who stands up for their faith is a Christian supremacist and that we should not create division as though phony unity is helpful to anyone. I guess we should just go back to being quiet and tithing and pretending that the world and our responsibility to it doesn't exist. That kind of Christianity will keep us amening while female sports are being absolutely destroyed before our very eyes. Leah, how did that performance measure up to your expectations coming into this meet tonight? I, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for this meet. I was just happy to be here trying to race and compete as best as I could. And it doesn't stop there. Young children are also being taught in youth camps to masturbate and female inmates are being raped by trans inmates and gay pride parades are happening in our public schools. By the way, you can look it up yourself about the uh, camps where they're teaching kids to masturbate. And so more of what you just saw is coming if left unattended. Cultural creep is not relegated to Disney and razor companies and more like the things you'll see in our headlines today. Rather, there's a broad cultural phenomena that can be best described in the saying that you probably heard your whole life. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. The basic idea is that we incentivize complaining. Now this is bad, but it's not that big of a deal because eventually people have to grow up, grow up, right? And then they'll face certain realities as they grow up and realize that they can't complain about everything. That is, unless we create a prolonged adolescence in the West that keeps adults from having kids and living there in their mother's basement well into their 20s. That's what numbers sure seem to lean towards more and more. Last year, deaths exceeded births at a time when 56% of childless adults say they're not likely to have kids. Now you say, well, COVID, COVID, COVID. But even the number of men, 18 to 30, who say that they have not had sex in the past year has tripled between 2008 and 2018 before the pandemic. So there are people having less sex. Now you might look around and say, well, for some people that's a good thing. but. A uh, Scientific America study studied teens 13 to 19 and said that they're less likely to drive until like they're 19 years old and less likely to have premarital sex by almost 15% than previous generations. Now, while this is an obvious good, right, that teens aren't driving as much and not engaging in these kind of sexual activities before marriage, but you might say to yourself, that's only good if the reason they're doing it is because of virtues and morals, but don't be silly. Christians have had their thumbs so far up the culture that often they aren't interested in changing the world for good. So that's not the reason that these people are doing these things. The Gen Zers are not practicing unsinful behavior because of past generations and what they've told them. They're doing it because they're so addicted to watching screens and playing games. That's why. So why do I share this stuff about prolonged adolescence? Because at a time where people are told to avoid the culture wars, a small group of squeaky wheels are changing society in a fundamental way. That's right, their impetuous demands are continually being heard in the culture and there are people who are giving in to them. And if we continue to keep on going this way, we will see the repercussions of it, not the least of which is a birth rate that is declining. And if that happens for too long, do I have to fill you in on what that really means for all of us? 
This is why the culture war matters. The only way you can think it doesn't is if you remain blissfully ignorant of what's going on in the world. I know you have to step in the poop before you understand that there's poop out there and that you learn to watch your step in the midst of it. In other words, I know you need to feel the threat and feel the pain of culture shifts before you often act. But wouldn't it be nice if we picked up after ourselves and kept the poop off our shoes in the first place? If we hide our head in the sand, turn off the news, and pretend like all is well in the world, then of course we will never realize the poop is out there. Kind of like the truth. X-Files. Maybe that is why we avoid the culture and we try to play it off as though it doesn't matter. Maybe we never have to be confronted with what our silence has caused if we just tune it out. So we'll jump into why we avoid the fight in a little bit more in-depth uh, way in our headlines today, but for now it should suffice that the future depends upon you and me, and so we will reap if we sow or if we don't. So we'll see that today in our headlines. Let's jump into it. So the Gospel Coalition has been kind of tuning into the idea of the role of Christians in the culture wars, and they ask, should Christians fight in the culture war? And they come away with this kind of idea that the moment you fight the culture war, you are doing something that's antithetical uh, to Scripture. So here they outline in this article kind of some of their ideas. So I want to I want to discuss them because I want to show how important it is that we engage these ideas. So, so they say the culture war is automatically antithetical to Scripture because they define the culture war in this way. So any time we're engaging in the culture war, we are doing this, in other words. We are expressing outrage over every new infraction we see in the news or on social media, forgetting that we are neither to give in so easily to anger nor to imitate the evils of outrage culture, cancel culture, or victim culture. And then they give some quotations there. And then it says, uh, cancel culture is bad because we fight and quarrel with our opponents forgetting that such skirmishes stem from selfish motives and that the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And then we also shouldn't engage in the culture war because we mock those in opposition to us in the culture in culture wars, using the popular rhetoric of sarcastic memes, name-calling, and condescending language, forgetting that we are to communicate with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3.15, and to walk in wisdom toward outsiders by letting our speech always be gracious. Now again, all of those things are accompanied with scripture verses, which you can check out. I'll link this article down below in our sources, so you just got to go to the description and you can always see the sources that we use for all of our videos. Uh, but before I actually give you the real reason that we are avoiding the culture war rather than those list of things that were just mentioned, let me at least interact a little bit um, with those things. So uh, it is a misnomer. It is a semantic trick. Uh, I want to be careful with the word trick there, but it is semantics at best um, to suggest that you have to do all of the things that were just listed for us if you are going to engage in the culture war. No, you can engage in the culture war without necessarily straight up mocking or name calling or engaging in back and forth that are more, more merely quarrelsome than they actually are productive. But I also just gotta say, and I'm gonna jump the gun a little bit here because I really eagerly wanna put this within the context of, of a couple of reasons why I actually think most people are avoiding the culture wars and it's not because of Christian scripture. Um, but I would just say this, you're going to have to show me that Jesus was never quarrelsome or never argumentative 
if you're going to tell me, first of all, that you shouldn't be argumentative or automatically that engaging in the culture war will make you argumentative. The, the thing I'm alluding to here is that Jesus was very disagreeable. Now, uh, we can talk for a moment if, uh, about who he was disagreeable to, but let's just start with the baseline reality that when Jesus spoke, Jesus was disagreeable, okay? So I don't know if you have room in your theology for people like David Crowder, uh, David Crowder, <laughs> Stephen Crowder, Stephen Crowder, that's another Crowder. I don't know if you have room in your theology with, for people like Stephen Crowder, the host of Louder with Crowder, but, but, but I'm just telling you, when you actually read and open the Bible and not just pull scripture verses out of context, you actually find places where Jesus was pretty disagreeable. Jeremiah was pretty disagreeable and even name calling. I mean, Jesus was the best name caller among them. And Jesus is still kind of like what we're shooting for here. I mean, Jesus called people foxes. He called them snakes. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them children of the devil. I'd love to see the modern day pastor get up on stage now and actually act like Jesus and say, for those of you who are preaching a false gospel, you're actually children of the devil. Because school is the devil. Now it's not gonna happen, right? Because we have a false understanding of love. We'll get to that in just a moment. But let me just tell you, just real briefly, why I actually think, by and large, we are avoiding the culture war. It's not because of any of those things just mentioned, just quite frankly, we're by and large not engaging in the culture war because of general cowardice. See, I don't, I don't think very many Christians actually are really talking in a very vehement or outspoken way about some of the things that are going on in the world. In fact, there's a very small, uh, minority among the majority of Christians who are actually addressing these things. Most people just desperately want to be liked and therefore never talk about these things. And they know that there is a social cost to talking about abortion. They know that there's a social cost to talking about the transgender movement. They know there's a social cost to talking about CRT because what, are you some kind of racist or something? If you think that Marxist CRT is, a, is probably not the best idea in the world and it actually divides people rather than actually helps us really appreciate our differences and, and bring reconciliation, that it actually stokes animosity. So there's this general cowardice that keeps us from jumping into these things. And then there's a familiarity with losing. By and large, Christians have played defense for so long that they don't even know how to play offense anymore. I mean, seriously, the vast majority of people who come away with church hurt, and I'm gonna do an episode about this in the future, by the way. I think it'll be really, really important. Um, the vast majority of people who come away with church hurt just had like one bad experience or something like that with one person inside of a church. Now, maybe it was with the pastor or whatnot, but, but then they all of a sudden want to condemn the whole church as though all of church is bad just because they had one bad run-in with somebody. Um, and, and needless to say, I, I say all that to just say this, that we are so on the defensive because we think we're Jesus' PR men in the church and that we have to make sure that we're, you know, like spinning uh, the greatest Instagram stories we ever have seen to just show people how awesome we are and then they'll come to love Jesus, that, that we're always on the defense that we don't know what offense looks like anymore. And so we're so brutally afraid of actually maybe somebody misinterpreting what we're saying that we don't really care about rightly interpreting scripture. And that's the third and final thing. So there's a general cowardice, there's a familiarity with losing, but then there's this also, this also cultural understanding of love that misrepresents scripture. So we say, you know, with all of the scripture verses that were just mentioned, we also add to it things like turn the other cheek and love your neighbor. And we think 
that if we actually tell the truth to somebody and we're actually honest with somebody about what we believe, that, that all of a sudden we violated some profound scriptural principle. But the reality is that the Bible tells us to speak the truth, yes, in love, but to speak the truth because speaking the truth is one of the most loving things that you can actually do for somebody. And so, when I speak up on cultural issues like what's going on with Leah Thomas, perhaps, the Penn State swimmer who I showed you a clip of earlier, who just blasted in his, uh, I think, first meet, blasted a bunch of young girls out of the pool with his time. The reason I speak out about that is not to try to mock and ridicule Leah Thomas, who's actually Will Thomas. The reason I speak out about those things is because I care about Leah. Let's face it. His wins in these women competitions are not going to be soul satisfying. They're not going to feel the way wins should feel. They're going to be empty and deadly because the joy that could come from those wins are, are, are meant for a woman. And so deep down, he's going to know he doesn't deserve to win. And so it's not going to provide him any of the fulfillment that could come from that. He'll never experience the joy that could be his through actual achievement. So when I say Leah Thomas is a man, which he clearly is, I'm not saying it to be mean or to be or to prove anything. I'm saying it as a plea for sanity to a people who are so self-destructive. If you really love people, you want what's best for them. That's what love is. And you try to help them understand what that is even if they don't yet know it. And I'll just end with a quote by a guy named Billy Sunday. Now, this kind of Christianity is probably lost on most of us today. But he said that the world is so upside down, we're going to have to turn the world upside down to change it. So don't let your puritanism blind you to the very aggressive nature of Jesus. For those of, who are in the deconstruction camp, or think they are anyway, um, and say they're trying to strip away their puritanical beliefs and their, um, uh, you know, maybe American Christianity so they can get back to real Christianity, we'll do this. Be okay with turning the world upside down and be okay with loving people in a way that is starkly different than the way the world says love and follow actual scripture verses. So understand that when battles first start, they, they do tend to usually shake people and startle people. That's because they're so used to apathy. And so when Christians actually start fighting back, I think some people are just like generally shocked by that. But it's not because we shouldn't fight back because that's what we were created for. Not necessarily to win arguments not necessarily to win debates, because what does that even mean to win a debate in the first place? You can be a better debater than somebody else and still be totally wrong. What it actually means is, is what I actually mean by winning is I mean standing for the truth, because the truth still has a group of people in this society that care about it and are rooting for it. All right, let's jump into the next headline if we're actually gonna jump into actually caring about the truth. So I wanted to talk about Kentaji Brown, who is the new uh, Supreme Court Justice of the United States pick for Biden, and most likely she's going to get nominated. And, and I want to tell you why I'm bringing this up, because uh, whenever a Supreme Court Justice is picked, very often what happens is these kind of back and forth and these kind of assault lobbying attacks and all these kind of things, but there is a difference, and I'm going to show you that here today. But first, let's jump into what's being said about Kentaji Brown Jackson. So Senator Hawley, GOP Senator, said this. Judge Jackson has opined there may be a type of less serious child pornography offender. A less serious child porn offender? And there's a question mark there. So Stephanopoulos on his show, uh, affectionately called by many uh, uh said this, rebutting uh, Holly's and others' claims about this very thing. 
We are now seeing escalating attacks from some Senate Republicans like Josh Hawley who set out a Twitter uh, series of tweets suggesting that Judge Jackson is somehow soft on child porn. It's been debunked by several independent fact checkers. But what does that tell you about the confirmation fight ahead? Well, I'm not sure what it signals, but as far as Senator Hawley is concerned, here's the bottom line. He's wrong. He's inaccurate and unfair in his analysis. Judge Jackson has been scrutinized more than any person I can think of. So I care about Jackson's feelings, kind of, not really, because the difference here is that they're asking a question about this person's professional career, which is absolutely within the boundaries of what these hearings are all about. You're supposed to be asking about the professional, uh, you know, record of these judges to see if they're a good Supreme Court pick. In fact, this is supposed to be, and often not, it's supposed to be a job interview. And very often it's a circus rather than a job interview. But in a job interview, you would ask about somebody's professional career and things that they've done in the past. However, the one thing you wouldn't do is just do the best you can to dig up false libelist attacks and attack people on a personal basis when you're trying to actually go through a job interview. Now, some of their personal life does intersect, but that's not what we're going to see in these clips. This dirt was searched for by staffers of members of this committee, it was then leaked to the media, and this committee and this body validated it and displayed it at prime time over our entire nation. As a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the US, U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. We live in a country devoted to due process and the rule of law. That means taking allegations seriously. But if the mere allegation, the mere assertion of an allegation, a refuted allegation from 36 years ago, is enough to destroy a person's life and career, we will have abandoned the basic principles of fairness and due process that define our legal system and our country. The far left is rushing to make this nomination about anything but, anything but Judge Barrett's qualifications. The instant, the instant she was announced, they started with the same unhinged attacks they have recycled for every Supreme Court nomination by every Republican president since the 1970s. So we're asking how Jackson feels about being grilled about her professional career. What about Kavanaugh? What about Clarence Thomas? What about Amy Coney Barrett? How did they feel when people were attacking them, one, for being a Catholic and calling them somebody who is in a cult? Kavanaugh, for what he did when he was a party, when he was at a party, when he was a teenager, that actually didn't happen. 
Um, and then, of course, Clarence Thomas, who also did not do the things that uh, that he was being accused of. So all of these were trumped up charges to try to accuse these people of things that they didn't do for the purposes of trying to dig dirt against them and throw it at them in the hopes that they would get their way. And it's absolutely not only a sham, but it's but it's stinking shameful. So let's let's dig in to her professional career because the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to talk past you know the Democrat who may be listening or or whatnot. But more importantly, for those of you who are on the conservative side, let's actually dig into the substance of of what Holly was talking about when he says that she's been soft on pedophiles in the past uh, and sex offenders in her courtroom. So here is a clip of her being asked about this. Sure that the children's perspective, the children's voices are represented in my sentencing. And what that means is that for every defendant who comes before me and who suggests, as they often do, that they're just a looker, that these crimes don't really matter, they've collected these things on the internet and it's fine, I tell them about the victim statements that have come in to me as a judge. I tell them about the adults who are former child sex abuse victims who tell me that they will never have a normal adult relationship because of this abuse. So what she's saying there sounds great, right? She, she said some good things in that moment right there, but she also said some other things in the past that need to be heard. And so we'll bring up this AP article right now so that you can see. This AP article is meant to try to defend uh, Kentonji Brown Jackson and her record on pedophiles. So digging into her actual quote, it says, quote, she told the hearing she was surprised at a Justice Department expert's testimony that as she put it, some child sex offenders may actually not be pedophiles, but perhaps loners looking like, li looking for like-minded company in child pornography circles. Being surprised by an assertion and wanting to know more are not the same as endorsing it. Okay, now here the AP has it right. There, She just merely said, I'm surprised that this expert would say that there's a difference between those who are selling child pornography and those who are, who, who are consuming child pornography because there is actually no difference. So, you know, there goes democratic experts for you. Um, but, but she did say this. So I'm wondering whether you could say that there is a, that there could be a a less serious child pornography offender who is engaging in the type of conduct in the group experience level. So she's asking an expert witness this stuff here, and then she goes on to ask this. So they're very sophisticated technologically, huh? But they, they aren't necessarily that interested in, child in the child pornography piece of it. So that's an actual legitimate question coming from Jackson. So the people that are doing this, they're not really interested in the pornography piece of it, huh? They're just looking for like-minded people. They just want to hang out with those people. They need some community in their life. So what do they do? They just go and start selling pictures of, uh, of children, uh, pornographic pictures of children. So if that wasn't absurd enough, Jackson did also write when she was uh, in school, uh, she wrote for the Harvard Law Review in 1996 that suggested judges should be weary of mixing larger public safety concerns and punitive measures when sentencing sex offenders. It said in part, quote, the current climate of fear, hatred, and revenge associated with the release of convicted sex criminals 
Courts must be especially attentive to legislative enactments that use public health and safety rhetoric to justify procedures that are in essence punishment and detention. So in other words, Jackson there is drawing issue with the fact that sex offenders go on a sex registry for the rest of their life and then can be ostracized from the public and even retribution can be had um, against those people whenever they enter into regular society. So she's, she's decrying the fact that sex offenders perhaps should have some way, I guess, of getting off the sex offender registry. But I'll just be honest with you, as a parent, if a sex offender comes into my neighborhood I don't care that they've experienced, um, hopefully, conversion and rehabilitation. Uh, maybe they've even repented and they've become a Christian and they swear they're never going to do that stuff again. That's fine. But they need to always be on that sex offender registry and they will never be trusted by me. Certainly not trusted with my kids. Now they might be trusted on some levels, but they're not going to be trusted on a personal level almost ever because that sex offender registry serves a purpose there. It is there to make sure that that person never does what is an evil, disgusting act ever again. It is aberrant to society. It is not accepted in society and never will be. That's why this sex offender registry exists. There shouldn't be some measure through which a person can slowly but surely get off the sex offender registry or whatever the case may be. But the point is, with Kentachi Brown Jackson, is that she has some interesting insights in terms of what pedophiles are and and what should happen to them as a result of their crimes. I have no doubt that at the end of the day, she's a moral enough person, you hope this, right? She's a moral enough person to realize that when when people are doing this to kids, uh, they they deserve to go to jail and they deserve to feel the full weight of the law. All I'm gonna just say is this, is that not only a person's professional career should come into question when they're being, um, at, when they're at these kind of hiring hearings, if you want to call them that, but but it should also come up in light of the fact that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Kentaji Brown Jackson was hired because of her gender and because of her race. Now, I am not saying that. I'm not saying that. I wouldn't be evil enough to say that. Our president said that, that he would not consider anybody that was not black and that was not a female. Now, when you do that, what, you, what you're bringing upon yourself, when you jump into those kind of immature identity politics kind of notions, is you're bringing scrutiny upon yourself that otherwise might not be there. If Joe Biden had never said that, people would just suspect that it was a great day that this person was being uh, going to be the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States, and people could probably rejoice along with her if it was merely based upon the merits and had nothing to do with identity, but we already know going in that this does. And it brings with it a sort of suspicion that is rightly earned. And you can blame Biden for that. But the culture war question really comes into play when we're dealing with identity politics, which is ultimately just a way of trying to define everything through race and gender rather than the things that really truly matter. And we do have something to say about that. All right, let's jump into our final headline. So Disney is driving conservatives into the closet, according to Rod Rear, writing for the American Conservative. Love Rod Rear and his book, Live Not By Lies, also Benedict Option, great book. Um, but he's writing here, and this is obviously about the supposed don't say gay bill, which of course, that is 
not what it actually is because it doesn't say the word gay anywhere. Some people have suggested that uh, if you want to actually really take a stand against this don't say gay bill, then what you should do is you should put up a billboard that says gay as many times as the word gay is said in the bill because then you wouldn't have any billboards up because it's never spoken in the whole bill. Um, but uh, but Roger Ear is, is, is speaking about this Florida bill, but it's also speaking about Disney, who is getting some flack from its LGBTQIA+, carrot stick, parentheses, fishing pole, unicorn, hippopotamus, um, whatever, uh, from that community among the employees that work at Disney. Uh, they're kind of pushing back against uh, Disney and the CEO for not being as vocal as they would like them to be. Now on the back end of this, Chapik is speaking up a little bit more and just recently, we covered this story in our last episode, uh, they reinstated a gay kiss in the new Lightyear movie in response to this Florida bill. So all of this controversy is happening at this time. And so the LGBTQIA plus uh, woke mob over at Disney is starting to revolt. Now, what are they revolting about? Well, Roger Ear says this here in the article. Quote, the thing that has opponents so upset is that the bill forbids classroom discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade. That's it. That's what liberals are so angry about. So devoted are they to the cause of making little children sexually aware and undermining their psychological stability around sex that they are throwing a massive tantrum over a law that says teachers can't introduce this stuff to children under the age of 10. And really it's third grade. So the age, unless you're held back significantly, is really gonna be like seven or, or eight. So you can't say this stuff to them. Now, the reason this is called the don't say gay bill is because the left is too clever to really say what the bill states because they know if they actually get into the wording of the bill and actually honestly represent it, that it will reveal them for the disgusting freaks that they actually are. Uh, because in this bill is so such common sense leg legislation that it boggles the mind. But it doesn't stop the woke employees over at Disney and the Disney company from trying to stand in the way of this kind of legislation. So do they want to say anything about China? Absolutely not. Do they want to say anything about the pedophiles that work for the Disney company that were just recently arrested? Then there's Xavier Jackson. He's 27. He thought he was chatting with a 14-year-old, and he sent photos of himself. Oh, did I mention that he just happens to be a lifeguard at the Polynesian Resort for Disney? You think there's a few children around there? Let's move on. These guys weren't predators, but they all have something in common with the last arrest. They work for Disney. No. They want to say nothing about that. But what they do want to do is they want to listen to a very small group of LGBTQ activists that work at the company. And they want to listen to them at the detriment of the company and destroy the company in the process of listening to this very few, very small group of those who wish to throw temper tantrums. So here's the real question at the end of the day. Does Disney give in to the petulant demands of its employees or does it give in to the demands of those who pay their bills? So I'll just say this, if you want to pack up all your stuff, all of your, your rides, your roller coasters, and all the theme parks in Orlando because it doesn't suit your agenda, please, by all means, feel free to do so. I know Florida doesn't want you to do it because of the income, but guess what? You don't either. So why are you constantly trying to cut off your nose to spite your face? This is 
I've spoken many times on this issue. This is the, the agenda of progressivism. It is the backwards progress is still progress. No matter where we're going, as long as we're moving, even if it's backwards, that's still progress. That progressive movement is gonna be the downfall of Disney. And I hope parents, you're paying attention. I hope parents, you actually intend on putting your money where your mouth is with movies like Lightyear and upcoming movies that have this kind of questionable material in it. I hope you do not intend on, on putting up with the way in which they wish to treat your children. You wouldn't let a stranger do it, so why are you letting the strangers over at Disney do it? So honestly, I hope we intend on, on, on pushing back on this thing. And in our final segment, Christianity Not Today, we'll dig into something that's of a Christian nature, but, but we'll also dig into something that I think has universal appeal because, because we desperately need to fight these cultural battles, not only because it protects children, but also for some other very, very important reasons. So let's jump into Christianity Not Today. So kind of as an extension of our last headline, we're gonna read a letter that Rod Dreher published in his American Conservative article about Disney. And this letter is from the employees over at Disney. So I think it's a fascinating letter and we're gonna, we're gonna jump into it. And then I'm gonna show you why I think it may be slightly naive. So this is from those, those employees and it says this. As employees of the Walt Disney Company, we believe in the dignity of all people. This is why we do what we do. We write stories, we make costumes, we act in parades, we run cruises, we stream movies, we make magic. We do this because our work contributes to a fountain of wonder that inspires joy, awe, and delight in guests and audiences of all ages. We are proud employees of the Walt Disney Company. We love our jobs because we get to share the wonder of life and human experience with millions of people worldwide. However, over the last few years, one group of cast members has become invisible within the company. The Walt Disney Company has come to be an increasingly uncomfortable workplace to work for those of us whose political and religious views are not explicitly progressive. We watch quietly as our beliefs come under attack from our own employer, and we frequently see those who share our opinions condemned as villains by our own leadership. The company's evolving response to the so-called don't say gay legislation in Florida has left many of us wondering what place we have in a company actively promoting a political agenda so far removed from our own. The Walt Disney Company leadership frequently communicates its commitment to creating an inclusive workplace where cast members feel comfortable sharing their perspectives and being their authentic selves at work. That is not our workplace experience. Over the last few weeks, we have watched as leadership has expressed their condemnation for laws and policies that we support. We have watched as our colleagues convinced that no one in the company could possibly disagree with them grow increasingly aggressive in their demands. They insist that the Walt Disney Company take a strong stance on not only this issue, but other legislation and openly advocate for the punishment of employees who disagree with them. An internal poll within the company went out a few months ago asking us if we felt accepted in the company. Many of us didn't complete it because the nature of the questions made us worry that the results of the poll could be used to target us for quietly holding a position that runs against the progressive orthodoxy that Disney seems to promote. The Walt Disney Company has fostered an environment of fear that any employee who does not toe the line will be exposed and dismissed. Much has been made of our internal efforts to reimagine tomorrow, but as much as diversity and inclusion are promoted, 
The tomorrow being reimagined doesn't seem to have much room for religious or political conservatives within the company. Left-leaning cast members are free to promote their agenda and organize on company time using company resources. They call their fellow employees bigots and pressure the Walt Disney Company to use corporate influence to further their left-wing legislative goals. Meanwhile, those of us who don't align with this vision keep our heads down and do our work without bringing our personal beliefs into the workplace. We've done this without complaint because we don't want to rock the boat. But the boat is being rocked, and our leadership seems compelled to reward those who are rocking it. So employees who want the Walt Disney Company to make left-wing political statements are encouraged, while those of us who want the company to remain neutral can say so only in a whisper out of fear of professional retaliation. The company we love seems to think we don't exist or don't belong here. This politicization of our corporate culture is damaging morale and causing many of us to feel our days at the Walt Disney Company might be numbered. Furthermore, as this politicization makes its way into our content and public messaging, our more conservative customers will feel similarly unwanted. You can only preach at, at or vilify our audience for so long before they decide to spend their money elsewhere. Okay, so it's a long letter, and I thank you for bearing with me as I read that to you, but I think all of that was so vitally important because you can hear the heart of the employees there as they're feeling more and more that their workplace is becoming an unwelcoming environment because Disney is so interested in affirming that they've forgotten to be welcoming themselves. And so now more and more conservatives are starting to speak out about that. And so this letter is heartfelt. This letter is great. This letter is um, articulate in, in all of the adjectives, right? All of them. But my problem with the letter is this, is that it might be naive uh, because we all have an agenda. It would be ideal if companies served their customers without an agenda, but they won't. So we need to realize that the unbiased company is not the goal. The truth is the goal. If we're going to really endorse that kind of stuff, we are going to have to realize these companies are not going to represent us. They have a fundamental value structure that is vastly different than us. And trying to get diplomacy from people who are enemies is probably never going to happen. I know we don't like to use those words, but, uh, but this is the reality. This is why I think the letter is mostly naive. Bob Chapek is going to take that letter, throw it in the garbage, and never think another thought about it. And laugh gladly as long as conservative parents continue to line his pockets with money. And they'll continue to keep on pushing further and further left. So it's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to us Christians. It's a reminder to all of us, especially parents, that the loudest in our society get to win. So shout louder. Let your voice be heard. Billionaires don't get to decide politics for you. A small group of employees don't get to decide what your family entertainment looks like. No, they don't get that right no more than they get their own pronouns. This is why, rather than bemoaning Disney, we need, to, we need to turn them off and start investing in our own stuff. And this is why I think the culture war is so, is so good, simply because we can try to change those who do not want to go along with us, and we can certainly give in to the petulant demands of those who scream the loudest if we want, but rather we need to do this. We need to create our own culture. We need to create our own businesses, our own media, our own stuff. And this is exactly what the Daily Wire is doing. So recently, Harry's, which you've probably seen in stores, the shaving company, 
they they withdrew their sponsorship from the Daily Wire because, uh, as they say it, two people tweeted out to them about the rhetoric of some of the hosts at the Daily Wire. Um, I think one of them, uh, Michael Knowles said, a man is a man. Uh, Jeremy Boring called him a peon that works for me. But I think it was Michael Knowles simply just said this, a man isn't a man, a man is not a woman, or something like that is what he said. Um, and, and so Harry's withdrew their sponsorship of his show and of the Daily Wire in response to that. And then they went one step further they condemned that kind of rhetoric and condemned anybody that that believes that a, a man is a man and a man is not a woman. And and so in response to that, Jeremy Boring and the guys over at the Daily Wire said, you know what, fine. If you're going to not only uh, say you don't want to sponsor us, which is fine, you can sponsor whoever you want to, but you're also going to demean and ridicule your customers who don't agree with you about certain things, then what we'll do is we're gonna quit being punched in the face by you and we're gonna quit moaning and groaning and quit begging, which is often what conservatives do. We're so used to losing, this is what we do. We complain and then we beg for your money and say, please give us your money so that we can continue to say the things that we're saying. Rather than doing that, the Daily Wire is taking one step further and they're actually making their own stuff. So they have jumped into the razor business themselves. So I want you to see their commercial from Jeremy Boring about this very thing. Harry said our views. In this case, the very common view that gender dysphoria is a mental illness were quote, inexcusable. They said it publicly, showing the whole world how pure they are, of course, but also signaling to all of our other advertisers that the only excusable thing to do would be to also cancel on us. See, that makes it a direct attack on our business and a direct attack on our audience too. So what are we to do? Well, what conservatives have been doing for years is lose. We're supposed to take the L. We're supposed to get a little poorer. We're supposed to hire fewer people. We're supposed to be a little less profitable. And of course we bitch. Oh, how we complain. The left is terrible. It's cancel culture. They're trying to silence us. And then we beg. We beg for donations mostly. Stand up to the censorious left, we shout, by sending us your money. And what you get for your money is, well, more losing and more bitching and more begging. That's economic incentive at work. As far as actual action, at most, we might rally for a good old-fashioned boycott. Boycotts, of course, cost the offending company in question virtually nothing, and they're over in virtually no time. Of course they are, because in the end, we still need those products. That's why today, the Daily Wire is launching Jeremy's Razors, a direct competitor to Harry's, where people with inexcusable values like mine can get a great razor without having to give their money to people who clearly hate them. It's why the Daily Wire launched its own film company last year. So people, again, with inexcusable values like mine can get great entertainment without giving their money to people who clearly hate them. So here's what I would say is I think boycotts have their place, but I think they're a little overwrought. Let's face it, Amazon is not gonna be replaced too quickly by many of you. And I know some of my conservative friends are gonna argue with that and say, I don't shop at Amazon anymore because of blah, blah, blah. Okay, all I'm just gonna tell you is this, is that way more effective than boycotts are buy-cots, which means you intentionally go out there in the marketplace and you give your money and you buy things from those who are supporting the things that you want to support, not the people who hate you. Why would you give money to strangers who hate you? Wouldn't you rather give your money to strangers who, who like you and support the things that, that you support? Wouldn't that be better? And so boycotts are the thing, guys. Boycotts are the things. And that's what we need to really get behind. And like I said, when we boycott, jobs are created values are protected, and lives are changed. 
But here's what happens if we stick our head in the sand and we don't jump in to the marketplace of ideas and then not only discuss these things, but go one step further and create our own, you know, our own economy with these things. Here's what happens. The truth is dying on the altar of, of progressive and individual agendas. Sincerely, my dog in the fight in the culture wars is not because I care about a specific um, agenda item or I, because I care about a political party. My, my dog in the fight, my desire to jump into the culture war simply has to do with this, is that if people cannot understand fact from fiction anymore, up from down, right from wrong, if they can't understand reality anymore because those in power have warped reality so much that it has impacted the way people think, then what is happening in the process is truth is being violated. And if truth is being violated, then people are gonna be less apt to understand the truth of the gospel. And this is where I as a Christian come in and say, hey, the truth needs to be protected. Because if people can't understand the truth anymore and can't tell upside down from right side up, then ultimately they won't be able to understand the importance and the beauty of the truth that Jesus has to offer them. So I, I think truth is, is being sacrificed on the altar of individual and personal agendas right now. We need, we need to be mindful of that. And then the other thing I would say is this, is that we're seeing this before our very eyes. The other thing I care about other than truth is children. The next generation needs us. They don't need Hezekiah leaders who push off battles to the next generation to fight because we're too busy or some such nonsense. No, as, especially as a parent, you recognize you now have a greater responsibility than you've ever seen in your life to actually take a stand and make sure that this world is a little bit better off than the way you found it for your kids and for their kids after you. It is utterly selfish to not think that you have a responsibility to do something about that. So this is why the culture war matters and it is why we need people like you to step into them. So I hope in the future when you think that it's overwrought or you think that you just wanna blow off uh, the conservative right or the fundamentalist Christian or anything like that, I, I hope you'll open up your ears and you'll listen to the truth more so than labels. That's all the time we have today. So we'll get in to the rest of changing the world the next time we have a show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for watching. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.